All right, it's great to be continuing with what I was talking about last week, the return of the God seekers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for revelation knowledge. Thank you for what you're imparting to us. We open our hearts to you right now and we say, come, come and have your way. Come and lead us and come and release your grace so that we may become true God seekers in Jesus name. So I want to ask you, last week I spoke about the return of the God seekers. What has changed in your life? What are you doing differently? You see, it's so important that we're not just hearers of the word, but we are also doers of the word. Remember when Jesus spoke about the wise man who built his house on the rock, and then there was the foolish man who built his house on sand. And it's interesting because uh, the elements were the same. They all faced the storm, right? Uh, and we're all going through tough times, difficult times, stress, strain. Uh, we're all facing similar things, but it's the wise man who built his house on the rock, and Jesus actually unpacks that. And he says, this wise man was the one who heard the word and did it. So I want to encourage us as we listen to the word uh, today to really make a decision that, Lord, I want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. So um, that's why I'm asking you that question. What have you done differently since you heard the message last week? I want to highlight something, you know, grace is a person, grace is Jesus, grace is a person and a place, grace is somewhere we run to, all right, uh, we have to enter boldly the throne of grace where we can receive mercy, so it's not a passive thing, so when we're talking about being a God seeker, it's something very active, and what I found is a lot of believers tend to be passive in how they go about their faith, I want to encourage you to be active. Hebrews 4 verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. You see, mercy doesn't just come. It's for those who are willing to enter boldly that throne of grace. And it says so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you in a time of need? I'm in a time of need. Are you in a time of need? Well, let's all run to that throne of grace. I also want to say when we're talking about being a God seeker, it's not something negative. It's not something legalistic. It's not something where you have to really strive for it. Okay. When we're talking about it, it's a joyous thing. Let me give you an example. If you've got a very wealthy uncle, let's say this guy is a billionaire and he says to you, I really want to spend the afternoon with you so we can unpack how I can give you lots and lots of money, right? You're not going to uh, complain about it. You're not going to say, hey, I'm a busy person, you know, like how can I spend a whole afternoon of my day with you, okay? You're going to see it as a privilege. So it's the same with God. He's our great father. He's the king of the universe. And so when he says, you know what, I want you to seek my face. It's not a negative thing. It's a joyous thing. When I spend time with the Lord, I'm going in just thinking, wow, there are these rich treasures I'm about to tap into. The wealth of his promises. The Bible describes the promises of God as these great and precious promises. And I find that as I'm spending time with him, meditating on his word, guess what happens? That written word becomes the living word to me. You see, and that's when it becomes effective in my life. There's no point just having the written word. 
if it's not going to become alive and active, right, and useful for you. So it's through constant use that the mature use the word of God. And so it's a positive thing. It's a joyous thing. It's not a negative thing. And I think that's so important. If you've got someone who you really like, if I say to you, you know what, who do you really like in this world? Someone you really admire. It might be your favorite um, pop star. It might be your favorite soccer player, maybe Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, all right? And I say, you know what? I'm going to give you a voucher and this voucher is going to give you dinner with that particular person. Could be your fam- a, a famous actor. You know, just the other day, my wife and I were talking about uh, our favorite actors and actresses and we were listing them, right? Because we think they're brilliant, right? Now, if you were to have dinner with them, how would that be? You would look forward to that dinner time. You would be so excited. And when you have dinner with them, you wouldn't do all the talking, would you? You have a list of a whole lot of questions that you're going to ask them. You know what? It's the same with the Lord, right? If I met Lionel Messi, I would want to find out what was it like when you played next to Suarez and Neymar? What is it like when you played with Iniesta and uh, Javi Hernandez? What is that like? You know, you guys were almost telepathic in your relationship and how you would pass to each other. Are you guys good connections off the field? When I'm spending time with the Lord, it's not just about me blabbing away a whole lot of things. It's my time to seek after God. It's my time to press into him. It's my time to tell him all the things I've wanted to tell him about himself. It's my time to ask him questions. And I know that as I seek, I will find, as I knock the door will be open and that's where the treasures are. I want to encourage you. It's a joyous thing that we are doing. It's not a chore. I also want to say to you, if I take my wife on a date or I take on a wonderful holiday, exclusive holiday, just me and her, no kids, right? It's foolish for me to boast afterwards and say, hey guys, I spent three weeks with my wife. You know, three weeks I spent with my wife. But you see, that's how many people are like when it comes to the Lord. It becomes a legalistic uh, work, you know. This is how many hours I spent with the Lord, you know, as if it's a horrible discipline. That's why we should be very careful when when we focus just on the discipline of our relationship with God instead of the delight, okay. Because if I'm saying it like it's this hardcore discipline to spend time with my wife, you probably think to yourself like, oh, she's a horrible person to be with that you have to say, oh, guess what, guys? I took her on a date. No, it's a privilege to spend time with her. I enjoy her company. And guys, it's the same with Father God. When we are there in his presence, it's not something to come out with, you know, and say to other people like, oh, this is how long I spent and oh, look how spiritual I am. No, it's always a privilege. It's always a privilege and it's a joy. So, I want to spend time today going a little bit deeper into being a God seeker. I want to show you, first of all, that it's a delight, you know, Uh, Psalms, book of Psalms 40, verse 16. It says, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Can you see that link between seeking the Lord and being glad and being joyful? Right. In the book of Psalms 105, verse three, it says, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. I'm glad. I am glad that I'm seeking the Lord. 
all right so let's let's unpack this as we go a bit deeper today what are some alternatives to seeking after god what are some alternatives um i mentioned to you last week that i'm going to unpack some of the alternatives because uh where it's always a displacement thing isn't it when you're not seeking after God, it means you're seeking after something else. So let's unpack what some of those alternatives are. The first alternative is seeking after our own interests, seeking after our own interests. Okay, this is when you have your own agenda. It happens even when you are hardworking in ministry. You can be working hard in ministry, but seeking after your own agenda, your own ego, your own interests. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 21, It says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. He's not talking about the heathen. He's not talking about the pagans out there. He's talking about people who are in so-called ministry, who he could have potentially sent through to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi. But he says, I can only send Timothy because he is of the same mind as me. He's of a kindred spirit. We are similar in that we are genuinely concerned about your welfare. And then he says, for they all seek after their own interests not those of Christ Jesus. So when we're talking about being a God seeker, just because you are in ministry, just because you serve in a church, doesn't make you a God seeker because you can be serving in church, but seeking after your own interests, right? Uh, And that's really important to just set out there. Uh, In Romans 2, verse 7 to 8, it says, to those who by perseverance in doing good, seek For the glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. All right. That's again very powerful. It's showing us that there are those who seek God's glory, God's honor and immortality and eternal life. But there are others who are focused on selfish ambition. And please note here, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Ambition is actually the desire to achieve greatness. Nothing wrong with that. But what the Bible has an issue with is selfish ambition. So it's a question of motives. And we have to choose. Am I going to seek after God? Or am I going to seek after my own interests? Okay, the second alternative to seeking after God is seeking after our own sustenance, our own sustenance, our own survival. And if you study the teachings of Jesus, you see that throughout his ministry, he was always challenging us, challenging his disciples to not worry. He would keep saying, don't worry. God already knows what you need. And it's interesting how so often as believers, we justify our focus and our energy being consumed with so many other things because we say, I need to survive. I need to put bread on the table. And sometimes there can be a distraction from seeking after God. So are you going to be a Mary who would sit under Jesus's teachings? And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better thing, right? Or are you going to be a Martha who's always running around, busy doing 
wonderful acts of service. But Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better thing. Now, in Matthew 6, verse 31 through to 33, it says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Are you eagerly seeking all those things? He says, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So basically Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat or how you're going to dress, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't let those things become a distraction. Just unpack that a little bit for yourself. Because I think very often it does become a distraction. In Matthew 6 verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is a very important principle in the technology of seeking after God. It is actually either or. You have to first seek after God. And when that's in place, you'll see a whole lot of other things. The desires of your heart will begin to flow to you. But if you put those other things first, it is impossible to be a true God seeker. It is impossible. Okay, it's a displacement thing. And there's always this war between what's going to come first in my heart, what's going to come first in my schedule, what's going to come first in my agenda. Is it God? Or is it mammon? And mammon is basically money. It's the demonic entity, the demonic principality that controls the use of money in the world. And sadly, a lot of Christians are under its influence. Okay. So when we stop seeking God, it's because we're seeking something else or someone else. When we stop seeking God, it's because we are seeking something else or someone else. And I want to ask you that question. What is competing with being a God seeker in your life? This agenda that God has for us right now of being God seekers. What is competing with that? And be very honest with yourself. You see, we are born seekers. We are born seekers. So we'll always be seeking something. You see, we're born worshipers. You'll always worship something. If it's not God, it will be something else. What is displacing the worship of God in your life in this hour? Let's um, continue as we unpack this thing of alternatives to being a God seeker. The third alternative is pursuing the fruit of our pride and unbelief. Pursuing the fruit of our pride and unbelief. You see, if you are a proud person and if you're full of unbelief, there are certain deeds that go with that. And very often that's an alternative to seeking after God. In the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. See, it doesn't just say the wicked does not seek after God. It says the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance. That's speaking of pride, right? All his thoughts are there is no God. That's speaking of unbelief. My question to you is, what has been the fruit of pride in your life and what has been the fruit of unbelief in your life? And very often pride and unbelief go hand in hand. What's been the fruit of 
unbelief and what's been the fruit of pride in your life? What's the fruit of that mindset? There is no God. It says that the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance do not seek him. They have the mindset of there is no God. I'll do it myself. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16 to 18, uh, we see this dynamic of pride. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. What do you do when you become so strong? You see, some people, when they become very strong, they humble themselves and they say, God, thank you for the strength that you have given me. It's by your grace. The moment we move away from acknowledging God as our source of strength, The moment we move away from the scripture that tells us that it's in weakness that his strength is made perfect. When we move away from that revelation, this is the technology of divine strength. When we move away from that, this is what happens. It says his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. There are deeds that go with pride. You act corruptly. And it says, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, kings weren't allowed to do this. Then Azariah the priest entered after him and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. They opposed Uzziah, the king, and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests. See, what happens is when we become strong in our own strength, we actually end up, trespassing in the spirit. We end up doing things that God hasn't called us to do because we assume that because I'm strong in one area of my life, it means that I can do anything. You know, it's like the person who's a CEO of his own organization comes into a church setting and begins to think, you know what, I can tell the pastor what to do. Guys, this is how you run a church. Guys, this is how these things work out. It's a bit like that. You you shift from your post, right? And it goes on to say, They opposed him. Uh, They said, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. You see, when you become strong in your own strength, you do things that you weren't consecrated to do. When, when When you see that word in scripture, consecrated, it basically means set apart for that purpose, right? Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and will have no honor from the Lord God. You see, when you don't truly seek after God, you begin to assume you can do things. You begin to become presumptuous, right? And with that pride and that unbelief in God's ways and God's precepts, the result is you act corruptly. The fourth alternative to seeking after God is we rely on the arm of flesh. We rely on the arm of flesh as alternative. In Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1, Bible says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt. Now, I don't know what your Egypt is or who your Egypt is, but there's often a place we run to as an alternative. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. Now, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with horses. There's nothing wrong with chariots when you are a warrior, right? 
But there's a problem when you rely on them, when you go to Egypt for them, right? And you find that uh, throughout the history of the children of Israel, God always had an issue with them when they would begin to rely on certain allies instead of relying on the Lord. And he says, woe to those who do that. So it means that there are consequences, right? That word woe is very strong and I've taught on this uh, a lot. But when Jesus would say, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, right? Those cities are in ruins today, all right? It was actually a word of judgment. And so God is also releasing that through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, woe to you when you go down to Egypt. I don't know what your Egypt is today, okay? It says, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Can you see it's an alternative? It's an alternative to seeking after the Lord. And this is actually the pride of life. Remember the Bible tells us about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are things we tend to run to, right? What do you rely on that moves you away from his face, from seeking his face? What is it that you rely on that moves you away from seeking after his presence, okay? And this is why a lot of times when things are going well for a lot of people, they don't seek after God, do they? They don't seek after God, right? They stop seeking after him when things are going well because they're now getting answers from their horses. They're now getting answers from their chariots. My question to you again is, what are your chariots? What are your horses? It could be the connections you've got. It could be long-term contracts that you have. You hear people say, wow, you got that long-term contract. So you are set for the next five years. You hear those phrases, you're set. Let me tell you right now, you're not set because that contract can fly away. That company that is giving you the business can go under next year. Are you relying on your contracts or are you relying on the living God? This is so important. Okay. Um, you hear people, a lady gets married, young lady gets married and she's like, at least I've got a rich husband, you know? Even before people get married, you hear them saying, well, I won't have any issues because I'm going to marry some rich guy. Let me tell you right now, my sister, his cash could go overnight, disappear. Do you remember what happened in 2008? Do you remember when we went into the recession? Could happen again. You cannot rely on money as your source. We have to rely on God's economy, all right? So when you pursue God just for things, then you will stop pursuing him after you get your breakthrough. I've seen it happening. You see it over the years as a pastor. We see it a lot. People coming to prayer meetings, lots of prayer meetings, after prayer meeting, after prayer meeting, until they get their breakthrough. They now get their breakthrough and then they stop coming, right? That means you are only pursuing God because of his strength. You're only pursuing God because you had needs. You weren't pursuing his face. This is so important. May we never be those who rely on the arm of flesh. Let's um, continue. The fifth reason why we seek after other things, right? The fifth alternative is we seek only natural solutions, right? So we become very naturalistic in our theology, right? If it's not, if it hasn't got a scientific explanation, then we don't believe it. I've seen this happening with a lot of people. That's actually their epistemology. Your epistemology is why you believe what you believe. It's like, oh, is there a good scientific explanation for it? Yes. Okay, cool. Then I can believe it. Well, what about miracles? What about the things that defy science? 
in your life? Are you still willing to believe God for those particular things? If you look at Second Chronicles uh, chapter 16, verse 12, it says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. Some of you are diseased right now. He says his disease was severe. Some of you have very severe diseases. It says, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Can you see there's always someone else or something else you will seek? It says he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. There's nothing wrong with medical science. There's nothing wrong with doctors. I love it when doctors work hand in hand with the Lord. In fact, many believing doctors today will tell you that, you know what? I came to the end of myself and I actually said, Lord, give me a solution. And God's hand was on that surgery, right? God's hands were on me. So there's nothing wrong with doctors, but there's a problem when as believers, that's who we rely on and we just rely on them alone. We just rely on uh, our tablets alone, right? God is taking us to a place where we seek the Lord first and we believe him for his divine healing. And when doctors come in, when tablets come in, we're saying, Lord, may you use them. May you use them. But we're looking ultimately to you as our source. You're the one who created us. Okay. My question to you is, are you open to divine healing? Sad thing is lots of believers are not open to divine healing anymore. Are you open to the supernatural? Are you open to the miraculous? A lot of people aren't. Lord has been giving me so much revelation in terms of divine healing. And he's been showing me that as we merge out of this lockdown, we're going to see miracles. We're going to see the power of God flow in a very powerful way. Are you going to be open to that? Are you going to be open to that? The sixth alternative that we have, alternatives to seeking after God, is seeking the occult and other counterfeits. One of the sad things is there are a lot of people who are very syncretistic in the way they relate to God. In other words, they mix traditional African religion. They, they run to shamans, right? They run to witch doctors. They, they run to sangomas. They run to these people. But at the same time, they think they can come to church on Sunday and say, Lord, please help me. Let me tell you something. When it comes to coming to Jesus, we don't just try Jesus. We don't just try him out, okay? We come to him saying, God, I've tried all sorts of other things. You are actually my source. You are chief in my life. You are my Lord. And as I'm submitting myself to your Lordship, I know I'll receive my healing. But this business of, you know what, let's just try Jesus a bit. And if he doesn't work, we'll try this and we'll try that. It doesn't work. All right. You cannot separate. You cannot separate Jesus, your savior from Jesus, your Lord. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 to 14. It says, so Saul died. Have you ever unpacked why Saul died? It says, for Saul died. We're talking about King Saul for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep. In other words, he knew what was right to do, but he still refused to do it. That's trespassing. And also because he asked counsel of a medium. So some of you might say, oh, you know what, but I'm not practicing witchcraft. I don't go out there and do juju against other people and so on. But who do you consult? And I'm shocked by the number of Christians where you hear that, oh, they went and visited this person or they went and consulted here and consulted there. Do you not trust God? Do you not believe that God can speak to you? All right. It says, and also because he asked counsel of a medium. 
This is something we need to deal with. There are politicians today who are counseled by demons because when you go to a medium, there's a familiar spirit operating through that medium. So you're basically receiving counsel from demons, right? And the Bible tells us the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy strategy against you is distraction, all right? There, there are a whole lot of people who get involved in these things and they struggle to actually get out of them. And afterwards, uh, they, they get sick, sicker, if there's such a word, okay? They get more sick, right? Because the, on, the only thing the enemy can do is to bring distraction to your life. He can't do anything good. It seems good for some time, but it only destroys you. Be careful of those counterfeits, right? So it says, Saul died. Why did he die? Trespassing. He knew the word of the Lord, but he disobeyed. It says, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. Can you see? You'll either go to the alternative or you'll go to the Lord. If we're not actively pursuing Jesus and asking him questions and seeking his face, curiously wanting to know his will over our lives, it's only a matter of time before we go to the alternatives. It says, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. That is one of the consequences, by the way, when you seek the alternatives, when you seek the alternatives, right? You, you begin to die a slow death and you might not die physically like Saul did, okay? But you find yourself experiencing death in terms of your dream, death in terms of your business, de- death in terms of your ministry, and it's given to another because God has got an agenda and he wants to use those who are seeking after him. That's why his eyes are roaming to and fro and saying, who can I use? Who's actively seeking me? Oh, this one is, I wanted to use this one, but he's going to that alternative. I can't use him anymore, All right? So he's now out of the equation and I'm gonna raise up another. May that never be your portion. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31 says, do not turn to mediums or spiritists. Do not seek them out. Can you see? It's an alternative. Do not seek them out to be defiled by them. That's one of the consequences, right? I am the Lord, your God. In other words, seek me. Leviticus 20, verse 6. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. So that same face that you could be seeking, because God says, seek my face. You know that that same face of the Lord can actually turn against you, can actually turn against you. That's why I keep saying to people, you know what? His presence can destroy you. His presence can destroy you. His presence is wonderful. His presence is glorious. But we need to know as believers what to do in his presence, right? We humble ourselves in his presence. The Bible says, no flesh shall boast in my presence, okay? We seek his face right? We're curious about him. We search him out. We search out a matter when we're in his presence. That's what we are called to do, right? But if we are busy consulting mediums, spiritists, and then we come into God's presence, let me tell you something. God's presence, and I explained last week, his presence, his face, same diffs, right? Can turn against you. He says, I will set my face against them, right? who are seeking after mediums and spiritists and going off and playing the harlot with them. The seventh alternative 
is seeking a lover or a relationship. And I want to highlight, highlight this quite strongly. If you look in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Now, this context may not have been a negative context, but I want to show you how it's often an alternative for a lot of people. I must arise now and go about the city. In other words, walk around the city. In the streets and in the squares, I must seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. Now, when you go about the city looking for a lover, that's very time consuming. And there's some of you, you could be single maybe right now, could even be a married person, but you are going around and you're looking for love. People do that. Men, married men today, take their rings off and go about looking for a lover out there. Illicit small houses out there. They do that, okay? Uh, there are others who are basically so consumed, right, with getting married. It's like, I need to find this person. I need to find this person. And you see that they were so passionate about God, seeking after the Lord when they were single. But the moment they got married, they stopped seeking after God because they found what they want. I want to encourage you, if you're a single lady out there, if you're a single guy out there, make sure you grow spiritually when you do get married. Because there are many people who backslide the moment they get married. Watch out for that. Very often, it's not even an illicit relationship. It could be a very godly relationship. But because you now have found what you want, you found what you were looking for, you stop seeking after God. And that space that the Lord, your father, was filling is now filled by someone else. And you're like, oh, my husband will pray for me. Oh, my husband will look after me. My husband will be the one who will tell me how beautiful I am. I don't need to go to God for my sense of worth anymore because I've got this wonderful husband or this wonderful wife. Watch out for that. Okay. So my question is, who does your soul love? You see, in the Song of Songs, she says, I went out looking for him whom my soul loves. Who does your soul love? Who does your soul love? She says, I sought him but did not find him, right? And my question to you is, is it a wholesome relationship? And is God at the center of it? Or is it something that is luring you away from seeking after God? Key question I like to ask people in my premarital questionnaire is that, I like to say, when you are with that person, how do you feel about God? Has that person helped you to grow in your relationship with the Lord? Or do they stop you? from seeking after the Lord. Powerful thing to think about. So now that we've examined some of these consequences or these um, alternatives to seeking after the Lord, let's have a look at the consequences of not seeking after God. Remember I said to you last week that I will share with you some of these consequences. So let's first establish that there are consequences, right? When you don't seek after the Lord. And often what you see in the Old Testament is actually a picture of what demons can do, right? Demonic interference in the New Testament. It's important to understand that, right? In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13, it says, And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel, right? The Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. In 1 Chronicles, uh, chapter 28, verse 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the Lord God, your God of your father, and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. 
for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, remember I said forsaking him is the opposite of seeking him. He will reject you forever. That's another consequence. Imagine, you know, not seeking the Lord, right? But forsaking him and then being rejected by him forever. So what are we talking about here? You know, being rejected by God. Are we saying that we're not saved anymore? No, we're not necessarily saying that. Are we saying that uh, God hates us and is mad with us? No, we're not saying that. We're just saying that God ends up not using you. Simple as that. He ends up not using you. If you look elsewhere in scripture, the Bible says that, you know what? It says, I've rejected you as my priests because you've rejected knowledge. So you haven't pursued my statutes. So I've rejected you as my priests. In other words, that priestly ministry that we all have, right? The believer's anointing that we all have, how God wants to use us. These are the days of the saints where we are all being used by God, right? He rejects us in terms of making use of us in that arena. Why? Because we've forsaken him. We're not seeking after him anymore, okay? God doesn't just use anyone and everyone, you know? People often like to quote that, oh, but God used a donkey. Oh, but those were exceptions, right? God is sovereign and God can use whomever he wants, all right? He even used Nebuchadnezzar for his purposes, right? He can use ungodly kings for his purposes. However, if you want to be consistently used by God in what he has called you to do, it's so important to be a God seeker. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 10 to 12, it says, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. All right? For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. This, is, this, this saddens me because there's so many people on our continent, right, reaping destruction over their lives because they're doing these things. Right? For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. Will drive who out? Will drive these people out before you because of the things that they're doing. Right? You don't get your inheritance. God wants to establish us. The Bible tells us that we will reign as a kingdom of priests. Okay? We are a kingdom of priests. We'll reign as kings on the earth right? It's not just talking about, oh yes, you know, one day, yes, you know, when Jesus comes back. No, even right now, he's teaching us how to rule and reign. He's teaching us how to advance his kingdom. From the very start in the book of Genesis, he says, go and have dominion, right? And he restates that uh, in the Great Commission. And he says, go and teach nations to obey, right? And I've noticed that in this time uh, when everyone's talking about this virus and during this lockdown thing, we're starting to see uh, the their eschatology coming out, people's different eschatology coming out. That's the understanding of the end times. And you start seeing that a lot of people still have this escapist mentality. The Bible is not escapist. What do I mean by escapist? Like, oh, let's try and escape all of these things. Let's, let's escape. You know, we want Jesus to just take us out of the equation and so on. No, God wants us to have dominion, right? So that even when there are diseases and viruses around us, they won't touch us. Okay, that's dominion. Right? That's dominion. Dominion is not, oh, we escaped from it. Right? Dominion is that even though there were trials, even though there was tribulation, we overcame in the midst of the darkness. Right? 
Um, that's the victorious gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's the gospel of the kingdom. So these are some of the consequences we see um, in the Old Testament, right? I want to unpack them. I want to unpack them, but I'm sure you all agree with me that there are consequences of not, not seeking after God. So the first consequence I want to highlight is that you end up with diminished authority and influence. If you're not a God seeker, you end up with diminished authority and influence in your life, right? Uh, in the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 2 through to 6. I know your deeds. This is Jesus, right? And he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, right? He gave a message to John and he says, you know what? Go and tell um, the angel of each of these churches, right? I know your deeds, right, and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. So God likes that. He likes it when we can actually say, mm, you know what, this is not a true apostle. This is a false apostle. He actually commended them for this, right? Hey, this church is persevering. Commended them for this, right? And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. My question to you is, is there something that Jesus has against you? This is very New Testament, right? This is right at the end of the New Testament. Right? Is there anything Jesus can say, you know what, I'm holding this against you. I have this against you. We don't like that language as New Covenant believers, but Jesus actually gives this church feedback. And you see, because of his grace, he actually gives the church at Ephesus a chance to deal with this particular thing, right? <clears throat> he says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That word first there, that word first is the word proton, and it literally means uh, the love you had at first. It also speaks of the most important love or the chief love, okay, that particular word. And so I believe it's talking about the love that we should have for God because Jesus says, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with everything, basically. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, with everything in you. Love the Lord your God. That's the chief love. And the word that's used for love there is agape, right? So he says, you've left that first love. You've stopped being a God seeker, right? You've left that first love. Then he says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. In other words, just reflect a bit and think about what your life was like when you had that chief love for me, when God came first in your life, when seeking his face was primary. Think back, think back. It says, remember from where you have fallen and repent. In other words, change your mind and your thinking and your purpose around this and then do the deeds that you did at first. In other words, their deeds, their works, that are associated with first love. That's very important, right? There are works that come out of that first love we had for Jesus. That's why elsewhere you see that Jesus is speaking and uh, he challenges, and I'm going to go into it just now, but he challenges Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, you know I phileo you. You know I philo you, 
right? And uh, that, uh, that word philos is speaking of brotherly love or the love you have with your friend, okay? A friendly type of love. And he says, yeah, you know, I've got that affection for you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep, okay? He alternates between feeding my lamb and feeding my sheep. And then he asks him again and he says, Peter, do you agape me? Right? And you see this in John 21 verses 15 to, to 17. And I'm jumping ahead of myself. But he asks him that question again. right? And he says, yes, well, feed my sheep. And then afterwards, Jesus actually changes the word he uses. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you philos me? And he says, yes, I do philos you. Right? And it's almost as if Jesus is changing his question because he's looking at Peter's response. And Peter's just saying, I feel us you, I feel us you, I feel you, I feel you. And Jesus is like, okay, do you feel me? Right? And the question I have for you is, have you forsaken your first love? You see, remember, forsaking is the opposite of seeking. Are you seeking after God or have you forsaken that first love, that chief love? And there are works that come out of that first love. Right. And basically, Jesus is saying, Peter, if you really love me with that first love, with that, if you really agape me, there are things you will do. You will feed my sheep. Are you a pastor out there? You will feed his sheep stemming from the love you have for him. You see, you can feed sheep, but not stemming from that love. But there's a type of love you can have for the Lord Jesus that results in certain first works coming out of that particular love. I'm hoping you're receiving what I'm saying. And then verse five says, I'm going back to Revelation chapter two, says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you. This is the consequence and will remove your lampstand out of its place until you repent, unless you repent. This is so, so powerful. This is so powerful. Jesus is basically saying something, something so profound here. He's already said to John, if you read from the, from, from the start of the book of the Revelation, that the lampstands speak of the churches. Okay, so that's what the church is represented by, lampstand. And he's now speaking to the angel of the church. He's basically saying, give, this, this, give the angel of the church this message, right? That if you forsake your first love, how you loved me at first and don't do the works that you did at first that stemmed from that first love of being a true God seeker, right? If you don't repent, I will come and remove the essence of that church, the authority of that church, okay? The power of that church. If you, if you look at that word, it says from its place. You see, there's a place you have in the spirit the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places. There's a place in the spirit that every church, every local church, these were real local churches. This was the church at Ephesus. It was a great church and it had a place in the spirit. Okay. And Jesus is saying, if we don't go back to your first love, I will actually remove this church from that place in the spirit. That word place is the word topos. And it's speaking of a region. It's speaking of a place. It's speaking of a foothold or stronghold in the spirit. It speaks of an opportunity. So opportunity that you had, influence that you had, spiritual authority that you had, I'm removing you from that place. 
Now, we don't know. Do you then get another place? Or are you completely removed? It's up to Jesus. But there are degrees of spiritual authority that we can walk in. And these things that were happening to that church of, of Ephesus, these are things that also happen to individuals. That's why sometimes with some people, they're still preaching today, but the glory has departed. All right? They're still ministering. And on the outside, it seems like it's great and it's wonderful, but the glory has departed. They've been removed from their place in the spirit. Right? And so that's one of the major consequences of forsaking that first love, forsaking being a God seeker, forsaking seeking his face, okay? And if, if you look in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, right? And Jesus is speaking of a particular time where lawlessness increases. And uh, there are two interesting uh, Greek words for lawless uh, there, all right? One is the word alpha, which means by itself, okay? Um, and, uh, and I think it's very powerful when you really unpack it. Um, and then nomos, which speaks of law, all right? So it's a law unto yourself. I want to encourage you, remain undercover, remain submitted, whether it's in your marriage uh, or in a church setting, remain submitted. Do not become a law unto yourself. Remain open to correction. Remain teachable because the result of lawlessness is that says because lawlessness is increased, most people, many people, most people, uh, their love will grow cold. Be careful that your love does not grow cold. Okay, watch out for that, that your love does not grow cold, right? Um, so that's also very powerful. Uh, <clears throat> I've shared with you John 21, verses 15 through to 17, right? So when they had breakfast, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Sometimes we stop looking after the flock of God because our love has grown cold, our love for Jesus, and as a result, our love for people, right? He said to him a second time, and he said to him a third time. There are certain works that stem from that love that we have for God, that agape we have for him. And I want to encourage you to stay in that place, to stay in that, in that place. So that's the first consequence. We lose our authority. We lose our authority and our place in the spirit. The second consequence of not seeking after God is that we do evil. We do evil. You see, seeking after God will cause you to come to a deeper place of holiness, a deeper place of being set apart, right? Uh, but not seeking after him has behavioral consequences, in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, it says, He did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. When you set your heart to seek the Lord, you do good. When you do not set your heart to seek the Lord, you end up doing evil. The third consequence I want to highlight is failure to obtain salvation. There are a lot of people who are not saved today not because God doesn't want them saved. The Bible is very clear that he wants all men saved, right? And that includes women too, right? All people saved, right? Um, but we fail to obtain salvation 
because we don't seek after God. In the book of Psalms 119 verses, uh, verse 155, um, it says here, salvation is far from the wicked for they do not seek your statutes. You see, the moment someone takes an interest in the statutes of God, right? We call them a seeker, that they, they're trying to explore this Christianity thing. You know, they're open to it. They're even coming to church, right? That's, that's one of the first steps in coming to a place of salvation. You're taking an interest in God's statutes. You're saying, mm, maybe there's something here. A lot of people, because they don't even do that, they never get saved. And that's why one of the most powerful prayers to pray when you've got faith for a new life, when you want to pray for someone to get saved is, Lord, may they take an interest in your statutes. May they begin to read the Bible. There are many people who are saved today and they'll tell you, they'll say, it's because, you know what? I actually thought, let me start listening to some of these preachers. You know, let me start listening to a Bible, you know, an audio Bible. Let me start reading uh, the word of God. Maybe there's something here. And they'll tell you and they'll say, I was reading through the gospel of John and, and the word just became living. It just became alive to me, right? You hear them saying that. Uh, the fourth consequence of not seeking after God is uh, you come to ruin. You come to ruin. In Isaiah 31 verse 1, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots. And I, I read this scripture to you and I was emphasizing something else earlier on, but I want to highlight that word woe. It's a word of destruction. And what tends to happen is we bring destruction over our lives, right? The Bible in the book of Jeremiah says, cursed is he who leans on the arm of flesh. We, br we bring curse over our lives. In other words, we are empowered with weakness. Okay, there's the supernatural power working against us when we don't seek after God, when we don't seek after God, when we don't run to God and say, you know what, Lord, I will, I will hide under the shadow of your wings. Lord, you'll be my stronghold. You see, it's not a passive thing. It's not a passive thing. When there are viruses going around, it's so important to say, I'm claiming the promises of God. You know, by your stripes, we were healed. I'm going to hide myself in your stronghold, Lord. All right. That's the place of immunity. That's the place of immunity. But when you trust in the flesh, you expose yourself to darkness. That's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. And that is a message to believers. That is a message to believers. You see, you can have whatever you want, good stuff or bad stuff. Just because you're born again, it's not automatic that things don't come against you. They come against you, but the Bible says, therefore, having done all things, stand, resist, stand firm, use the shield of faith. Why do I use the shield of faith? To resist the fiery darts of the enemy. Yes, the fiery darts of the enemy also come against God's people, right? But he's given us the resources, he's given us the weapons to fight against the enemy. All right. So we've looked at uh, the alternatives, right, to seeking after God. And we've explored some of the consequences when we don't seek after God. And so now I want to unpack what seeking God entails. What does seeking God actually entail? What does it look like? The first is that it involves seeking kingdom qualities. When you seek after the king, you're also seeking after the things of his kingdom. The Bible tells us that the kingdom of God, right, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? 
So when you seek after God, you're seeking after his kingdom, which includes his righteousness, right? Uh, his peace, his joy, right? These are all principles of the kingdom, dynamics of the kingdom, qualities and characteristics of the kingdom, right? Those are things you are praying about. In Zephaniah 2 verse 3, it says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. But it doesn't just leave it there. It says, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. I want to be hidden, right? When there's certain things happening around me that are not my portion, but I'm protected because of the covenant I have with God, right? But what should I be seeking? Seek righteousness. Now, because I'm in Christ Jesus, he's become my righteousness. He's become my place of immunity, right? So that's what I'm confessing. That's what I'm claiming. And that's what I'm walking in, right? His righteousness, right? Seek humility. That's why the Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So even if you're a Christian, right, you can experience resistance from God himself if you're walking in pride, right? But the Bible here says, seek humility. And I want to encourage you to do this as your own personal study, to say to yourself, when it comes to seeking the kingdom of God, okay, I'm seeking this wonderful king and his kingdom. What are the elements of the kingdom? What does it actually look like? Why does Jesus, why did he always teach? This is what the kingdom of God is like. Unpack it. Make a list of those kingdom things. I love studying the kingdom of God. Make a list of those kingdom things and pursue them. So what does it mean to seek humility? Study it, right? Study it. Embrace it as part of your personality. Walk in it, right? Keep changing your mind, repenting, turning away from pride and turning to humility. You're seeking kingdom qualities. You're seeking his standards. You're seeking his statutes. Hate what God hates and love what he loves. You know, I was sharing with you earlier on about the uh, church at Ephesus. And when I look at it and I'm thinking, Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand if you guys aren't seeking me first, if you're not seeking that first love and, and walking in it. I'm just wondering, was that lampstand removed? You know, what happened to the church at Ephesus? You know, because the reality is that place, uh, your modern day Turkey and, you know, what was Asia Minor, that, that region is now quite strongly Muslim. And I'm saying, was that lampstand removed? And I know it's great. There's lots of great evangelism happening there right now. I know some people who've established churches there. Um, but I'm just saying at that particular time, was there something that was removed there? One of the things that that church had going for it was Jesus then goes on to say, but this is one thing that you have working for you, that you have in your favor. He goes on to say, uh, and it's about verse six and in Revelation two, it says, you hate the deeds of of the Nicolaitans in the same way that I also hate their deeds too. And I think that's so powerful, you know, because part of being a God seeker is you begin to hate what he hates and you love what he loves. One of the sad things is a lot of Christians are clearly not seeking these kingdom qualities because they love things that God hates and they hate certain things God actually loves. So we want to be in sync with him, right? So what does seeking God entail? Well, number one, it involves seeking kingdom qualities, seeking kingdom qualities. Secondly, 
It also involves instructing those who are under your influence to also seek after God. So if you're a leader, maybe you are heading up a household, you're a mom, you're a dad, right? Or you're a leader of a church uh, or you're a headmaster. You've got authority over a number of people and there's certain authority you have to instruct people to seek after God to seek after God because they're under your influence. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 2 to 7, it says, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherim, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. So as king, he literally just tore down a whole lot of evil stuff that was there where people had been seeking after other gods, but he also commanded Judah to seek the Lord. Are there people right now that God is calling you to actually instruct and say, guys, this is what we're going to do as a family. I'm often doing that in our household from time to time. I'll say, guys, this is what we're doing. Guys, we're going to be having devotions now. Guys, you know what? Wear your Bibles. Go and read your Bibles. Guys, as a family, we're going to have a worship night. Let's begin to worship, right? Hear the songs. Listen, watch and learn. Guys, we're going to listen to a message now. You've got that authority. Yes, your children need to make their individual choices in terms of pursuing God. They need to develop their own faith after God. But there's certain things you can do where you say, as a family, this is what we do. We go to church. We don't bunk church right? It's a priority. That's what we do on Sundays, right? So are you in leadership? What instructions can you give those under your influence? Very important. Very, very important. Okay. Um, Next, turning your attention to God, turning your attention to God. That's really, really important. Turning your attention to God. Uh, In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 4, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Mayunites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram and behold, they are in Hazanon, uh, Tamar, that is Engedi. Jehoshaphat, this is the point I want to make, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. My question to you is, what has your attention right now? Because what seeking after God looks like, it's paying attention to God, setting your attention on God. You see, you can't have your attention on too many other things and think you'll also give God your attention. This is not a multitasking thing, right? When it comes to seeking after God, it's about separating yourself for God and saying, God, I'm going to seek after you, right? You you are the one who has mind share right now, Lord, right? You're the one who's dominating my thoughts right now, right? Uh, That's very important, okay? Next, we're talking here about what seeking after God entails, right? Uh, It entails paying attention to what God has done, paying attention to what God 
has done. In the book of Psalms 119 verse 2, it says, How blessed are those who observe, right? To observe is to watch, to guard, and to keep, right? Who observe his testimonies. What's a testimony? It's a story or an account of something that has happened, okay? So God has testimonies, and we need to observe his testimonies, right? Who seek him with all their heart. Can you see the link between observing his testimonies and seeking him with all our heart? You know, what, one of the saddest experiences is when you've done so much for someone, right? Or some people, but they keep forgetting all the great things that you've done. How do you feel, right? They forget the heart you have toward them. Let's say you've sown so much into their lives, but they still see you as a stingy person. And that's, that's what God goes through. Because very often we've got a view of him that, that, that is so, so much in contrast to how he actually is. He's there thinking, I rescued you in that accident. I saved you from yourself, all right? This is what would have happened to you. This is how your life would have turned out were it not for me saving you, right? But we still look at him and when we are praying, we think we have to twist his arm for him to do any good thing. We've forgotten his testimonies. We've forgotten the great stories, the great accounts of what he had done in our lives. I want to encourage you, part of seeking after God is reminding yourself of his goodness, okay? Uh, Testimony is so, so important. Uh, Next, paying attention to his word and delighting in his ways. So we delight in his testimonies and we observe his testimonies, but we also need to pay attention to his word and to actually delight in his ways. When I talk about his ways, I'm talking about his kingdom, the way he does what he does. All right. In First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 8, it says, So now in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek after all the commandments of the Lord your God, so that you may possess the good land and bequeath it to your sons after you forever. In the book of Psalms 19, Verses 7 to 8, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. This is about delighting in his law, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Do you see them as trustworthy? Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. So we get excited about his precepts, right? We love getting revelation from his word, right? The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Do you see his word as positive? Do you see his his ways, right? The ways of the kingdom. Do you take delight in them? Do you get excited about them? You know, when you're scrolling through YouTube, do you want to listen to a powerful message being preached? Do you want to listen to the word? Do you want to dig into it, right? Or are you more excited about your favorite show? Right? It boils down to things like that. You know, what, what place has God's word got in your life? All right. I love that. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Next, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. This is actually one of the things uh, that are uh, an attribute of seeking after God prayer and fasting. And if you look throughout scripture, you'll see those words being used quite interchangeably that they sought the Lord 
with prayer and with fasting, right? In Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 to 3, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Watch this. So I gave my attention to the Lord. There's that word attention once again, to seek him. How? Practically, how did you seek him, Daniel? By prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. You see, I want to encourage you, those you, those of you who haven't uh, heard my teaching on fasting, it was one teaching I did uh, a couple of months ago. I want to encourage you to have a look at it. Just go onto our website, uh, www.gochurch.co.za and just um, uh, look at my teaching. It was quite comprehensive, really unpacking the ministry of fasting, okay? Because it's quite central to seeking the Lord, paying attention to the Lord, okay? And then um, the next one is, Seeing God requires, seeking God requires preparation. Seeking God requires preparation. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 18 to 20, it says, For a multitude of the people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than, otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. So the people received their healing. This is in the Old Testament, right? We now have a better covenant based on better promises, but there was lots of healing taking place in the Old Covenant. Imagine what you can expect in the new. These guys hadn't even followed all the purification rules uh, of the sanctuary. But it's as if, uh, you know, uh, Hezekiah could pray asking God, right? And God heard Hezekiah, right? And um, I think it's powerful. But the key thing is they prepared their hearts to seek God. God is calling us to prepare our hearts to seek him. That's why before a fast, you prepare your heart to seek him. I want to encourage you. This is not some knee jerk thing. It's not some quick fix thing, but the breakthroughs we're going to experience in the days to come. Key, key thing, please listen carefully, is to prepare our hearts, to seek him, to reflect and to set our hearts on seeking him, to pay attention, to seek him. All these words being used uh, interchangeably. I think it's so, so powerful. And then finally, Uprooting idolatry, uprooting idolatry. In Second Chronicles uh, chapter 34, verse 3, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father, David. What was the result of that? And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and carved images, and the molten images. You see, seeking God will always be outworked in holiness, in being set apart. You can't just say, I'm seeking after God, I'm pursuing God, but nothing changes in terms of 
being set apart for, for God and his purposes, right? As we go into this time of seeking after God, there must be a resultant set-apartness. There must be a resultant pulling down of stuff that is not godly in our lives. There must be deeper levels of consecration as we seek after God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you that you are revealing your kingdom ways to us. Lord, we submit ourselves to this teaching. We surrender to you, Lord God, and we ask that your grace is multiplied over us with regards to seeking after you and being truly a God seeker. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. I want to encourage you as you go from here, continue being consecrated for the Lord. Continue giving. Uh, I want to thank those of you who faithfully been tithing even during this lockdown. You, you, The type of person who's so committed to this kind of thing that you don't need to be listening to an offering message every single Sunday in order to do so. But you know the word of God and you're digging deeper. I'm so excited about how we're going to emerge out of this lockdown. I believe that quite a number of us are going to come stronger going to come out stronger, more powerful in God. And I'm looking forward to hearing all the testimonies. I want to encourage you to also keep confessing the word concerning healing, concerning being in a place of immunity uh, and being free from this particular virus. If you've contaminated the particular virus, to pray and to seek God and to trust him for healing, just like these saints of old did, both in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, because Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our source and he's our sustainer. I want to encourage you to take principles from what I've just shared with you and unpack them with each other. Teach other people these things. Let's all be God seekers in this season. Amen.